You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I am joined by my co-host Tony and we are talking about the Eagle Cap Extreme Sled Dog Race. This is our race recap. Tony, what's happening in this race or what happened, should I say? (laughs) Um, Well, you know, it was a pretty quick race. Um, I didn't get to watch quite as much as I thought that I was going to get in real time uh, just because life got in the way as it normally does. But it was it was really, really kind of exciting to see just how fast it went. Um, there were some mushers that beat their personal best time by quite a few hours. So it was a fast trail. The videos that I've seen, um, the country was just absolutely gorgeous. It looked like perfect weather for a dog race. Yeah, and as we mentioned on our preview, this was a really small field for this race and we were talking about being an idea drought qualifier and whatnot. And very quickly, there were only six racers in the 200 mile race. There were nine mushers in the 108 dog race, and there were only two mushers in the two dog or two day 30 mile race, which was only six dogs. But there is something interesting in that a female won every race. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, with a smaller field and it was very well balanced in each of the classes, as far as men to women ratio, for the most part, um, every champion in each of the specific classes was female or is female, I should say. Um, and that's kind of exciting. You know, we hear a lot, especially, um, around the Iditarod about how, you know, women power, that's something that makes this sport unique to many other sports is that it's an even slate for both male and female. Um, And so fans really flock to that. And so that was kind of the big story that I saw from people following the race um, throughout the weekend was just how, you know, one lady after the other brought in the win for their teams. Um, And so that was, it, it's fun to see. Um, I think it was a well-balanced, I spent most of my time focusing on the 200-mile race, and it's just nice to see um, names that are up there on the top of the list for this particular race or other races in the lower 48 really just be not just competitive, but be fiercely competitive. Even though it's a small, um, you know, six-team roster, they're still running like they have a huge pack behind them. And and so it's very competitive. I don't think any of the mushers particularly, you know, have much thought about, oh, you know, I'm, I'm the woman and I'm beating all the men or anything. They're just out there to prove that their dogs are the best. And it really doesn't come down to gender for anybody. Yeah. And you talked about competitiveness in that um, 200 mile race, only a little over seven hours separated the winner and uh, the, the last place team, the, the Red Lantern uh, 
finisher. That's pretty impressive as well in 200 miles, especially with all these uh, mountains and elevation gains. Seven hours is not that huge of a span between the first and the, and the last, is it? It's not. And that Red Lantern team, um, Morrison Racing Kennel, she was running with mostly young dogs who I believe this was their first race ever. And she only had to leave two behind at a checkpoint. So she was running with a lot of inexperience in front of her sled. So for her to stick with the entire group um, and be only seven hours behind the finisher, we don't even see that up here with most of our young teams or our rookie teams uh, here at like the Kinnick 200 or, or any of our mid distance races. So that's pretty impressive and kudos to her. She, I think said her next race is going to be race to the sky. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how her team progresses throughout the season. And remember on our uh, previous show, we talked about the race to the sky as this being part of the, um, of the triple triple crown challenge. And it's also with the, Mm -hmm. Idaho sled dog race, I believe that they call it. Mm -hmm. Those are three pretty decent races, uh, pretty much one after another. And it's interesting that if the the, um, Idaho race is a qualifier as well, that's that's three really good qualifiers in really short distance between each other. I think that might give Alaska a run for its money. What do you think? Yeah, the lower 48's really coming out strong with some really great qualifying races and incentive to run all of them. Even if you're not necessarily thinking about running Iditarod or the quest in the next year or two, you still get that, those races under your belt. You still get a taste for it and you can see what your teams are doing with the rest of the pack who are looking towards Iditarod or quest. And that's actually, I think, encouraged some of these teams who just stick around home to branch out and do those other races, the Triple Crown, um, for example, and then go on to say, you know what, I think I am going to shoot for 2025 or 2026 for Iditarod. So let's talk about that for just a second before we end the show here. And I want to get your perspective on it first, and then I'll give a musher's perspective after what do you think about um, these guys that are doing all of their qualifiers down in the lower 48 or somewhere else? Because it's sort of been a rule of thumb, especially in the last decade or so, that uh, you ought to really come up to Alaska to run a few races before you mm-hmm. do Iditarod. Uh, but now, especially with, um, you know, as well as the Bear Grease is being run and the Race to the Sky and now the Eagle Cap, None of these races are new, but they are definitely becoming much more uh, of a um, competitor's type race than um, some of the smaller races as they used to be. So what are your thoughts about instead of making that travel up to Alaska? Because as you know, economy is tough. Getting dogs up here was tough the last few years with uh, COVID restrictions and border crossings and all that. What do you think? I think it's really helpful for teams, like you said, who, you know, they have to stick close to home for one reason or another. Not everybody can pack up 20 dogs, 24 dogs, and come up the Alcan and then hang out all winter long. We've seen teams do that. A lot of them do that, but not everybody can. We know Jonathan Hayes is up here mentoring under Mitch Seavey right now. He's 
hope to run a couple of races, but he has to go back home because he's a teacher and he can't just take a whole school year off. He's got a family that he needs to support. So I think it's helpful if they can get up here and run a race or two in Alaska, especially if it's something like the Cusco or the Copper Basin, where they can really get in that river um, atmosphere or on the Yukon type stuff, even though the Copper Basin isn't on the Yukon, you still have a lot of the similar elements or out there on the Cusco where they can get an idea of what they're going to feel like they're out on the coast. Um, but it's not necessary. Not every Iditarod musher goes onto the Cusco Quim 300 to do one of their qualifiers or even to train their dogs year in and year out. And they still win. You know, you don't see Dallas Seavey taking his team out to Bethel and then going on to the Iditarod. And yet he still wins. His dogs have no problem out on the coast and in those big windstorms. So it, it's not necessary. And I think it is, especially right now with the economy, with the way that Canada has changed the border rules so many times. I think it's great that they can get all of their qualifiers or most of them out of the way. And then they're not having to worry about coming up to Alaska and having our winter go to crap and there not be the races. We saw that quite a bit in the 20 teens where we were canceling the Kinnick and the Testamina and the Northern Lights 300, which is now also not around anymore. And the Willow 300 having to jump around so that you missed your quest opportunity. I think that's what kept Quince Mountain from running earlier um, than he did in 2020 because he couldn't get all of his qualifiers in the year that he needed to so he had to go the next year and it's it's just one of those things where if you can get your qualifiers closer to home get them closer to home i don't think it makes that big of a difference especially when you've got something like the one that we had this weekend where uh the elevation uh changes are so drastic yeah i i pretty much second everything you you said and a couple of other quick points i i totally agree with you about being able to take the time off and spend a winter or possibly even two winters up here to qualify and, and get ready for uh, the following year I did a Rotter Quest. Because if you're a working kennel, meaning working a, a job, and you had mentioned uh, Jonathan Hayes where he's a teacher and you know folks like that, it's tough to come up and spend the winter up here. Uh, I, I started mushing down in the lower 48, and I tell you what, it is so much easier to drive a couple of states over, mm -hmm. do a race uh, on the weekend, come back, and you're back at work on Tuesday morning versus, you know, uh, taking the entire winter off to do that. And, and now with the races that we just talked about, you literally could pack up the dogs and the kids and the, and the homework and the whole nine yards and do all of your qualifiers and still have a a real job so to speak so i think that that's that's pretty important uh, to be able to do so and then lastly with uh, what you had said about um, the different types of races that they have in, in particular the one we're talking about tonight the eagle cap extreme that um that will definitely help training future iditarod or yukon quest mushers that are trying to go over those huge mountain passes that they do if they're doing that up and down like they do on the eagle cap it will really help and and back to the bear grease it's an entirely different animal than i did a rod but uh, that lake effect snowstorms that hit there and the ice mm -hmm. and the brutally cold winter or, or temperatures that can really help out an iditarod team as well so 
just our thoughts on that. Uh, I, it's exciting to follow races that we don't typically do, and I'm looking forward to talking about some of these in the upcoming weeks, in particular the Race to the Sky and the Bear Grease and maybe even the Can-Am 200 or 250 or whatever it is and whatever races that we can get on our schedule. Tony, anything else before we close? You know, like I said, it was just really fun to um, be able to follow this race a little bit more. Life did get in the way, so I didn't get to watch it quite as much as I expected to. Um, But I have to say it's one of the most fun to try and follow online. I never did find their link to the trackers, but I think that was my user error, but they have like the live feed to watch the, the start right there on their website. Um, and it's free to everybody. Hint, hint, hint. Um, <laughs> not, not, not naming names. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot of fan interaction that way. They're a little more quiet on social media than some of the other races, but I think it's a well-organized event. They're very good about getting their little part of Oregon really involved in the race. And so kudos to this a race that even though, yes, the roster was down, and a lot of that I found out was due to lack of training time for many of the teams. I guess weather in certain areas was not conducive to running on snow and sleds. Um, so just for that alone, I, I think kudos to them for having yet another successful race in, in three different classes of dog race. Yes. Yes. So guys, before we close for tonight, even though this is supposed to be a shorter recap race, uh, on our last show, uh, where we talked about, uh, the buyer beware musher mm-hmm. fake merchandise, we sent out a call of action. We asked for folks to send over reviews. And Tony, I'm pretty sure you didn't see any of these because you do not have an Apple phone, but I want to read a couple (laughs) of these before. Uh, They really stepped up. We asked for 40. We got 16 in the last couple of days. And the first one I have to say from Black Chaps on uh, Apple it says dogs as the title, and the only thing it says on the comment is Tony knows everything. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> interesting? Interesting. Uh, another one, another one from Bob. It, he says it is the podcast for mushing. I grew up with a dog team, and I love mushing, and this is the best mushing podcast Aww. anywhere. Love it. And I'm only going to read one more. I'm not going to spoil the party for everyone. So let me go through some of these. Uh, Sierra01968 on Apple says, I love mushing radio. This podcast is so great for the mushing community. It puts out a ton of information and allows us to learn from people. We would we probably would never meet. We are a recreational team with only nine dogs, but we love all of the stories. So I appreciate it, guys, for stepping up and uh, putting some comments on our Apple feed. I have not had a chance to check out the other podcast feeds, but we really appreciate it and keep them coming because we love to hear what you have to say. So, Tony, it is a busy week here on Mushing Radio. I think we have a couple of episodes that are going to be recorded. What's happening in the mushing world before we hit the end button? 
Uh, everyone is jockeying for either changing from the Cusco to the Willow or the Willow to the Cusco. I'm just trying to keep it all straight. So we've got two big, important, popular races coming up in a single weekend. Plus, it's also a big weekend for the NFL and a big weekend if you're a figure skating fan. So my head is going to explode by Saturday. Yep, looking forward to it. We will have... <laughs> We will have a show drop on Wednesday for the Willow 300. Uh, that will be our race preview for that one. And we will have a show drop on Thursday for the Cusco 300. And we will do recaps of those. Not sure yet uh, whether it will be Monday or Tuesday of the following week. I guess it will really depend on when people are finishing. But we will have four shows in the next seven days coming up about mushing. So stay tuned, hit that subscribe button and keep those comments going. And we look forward to hearing from our fans. Tony, it's a pleasure. We'll talk again soon. All right. All right, guys. Talk to you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.